0: Aloha, this is Sol Dancer, the author of Pay Me What I'm Worth. We are going to deal with change, and I have an expert panel lined up to make sure you have a wide variety of ways for you to begin to look at how you can befriend change with ease and grace. Now, before we dive into our panels, I want to make sure you understand a couple of things. First, we're not going to chew up a whole lot of time introducing each panelist. That could be an hour in and of itself. So click on to each panelist's name here on the Blog Talk Radio Show page. You'll jump out to their site. All the details about our panelists are there out on the site. And as you're listening to the show, understand that while our topic may seem to be repetitive, or what you're going to hear is the primary reason people resist change might seem to be repetitive, their responses on how to resist change are nothing short but unique, exciting, and certainly doable. Add up all the number of years our panelists represent bringing their wisdom to the table, over 200 years of experience waiting for you just to listen to it. Now, whether you'll do something after you listen to it, strictly up to you. If you find you need more help with befriending change, give me a call or get in touch with one of our panelists. Every single one of them are coaches in some degree. They are more than happy to be able to be of service. So let's dive right in. I'm once again honored and blessed to have with me Madeline Blanchard. Now, you may have heard Madeline's previous show. You didn't. I would highly recommend you going back there. Madeline has been part of the change agent world. Oh, Madeline, how long have you been what I would consider a change agent? How many decades?
1: 21 years. I've been a coach.
0: Least, yeah. You've been in and out of boardrooms. You have been in and out of homes. You've been on the front lines. You've been behind the lines. What have you seen in 21 years? What do you think is the number one reason people resist change? I
1: think probably every single person you're interviewing about this will, would say it's fear. Mm-hmm. and it is fear, but it's an irrational fear. It's the fear that comes from the reptilian brain, essentially, because everything that you've been doing up until now, even if it's not perfect, it's worked. And if you change anything, you, you might die. And that's, that's how the re- reptilian brain responds. And in organizations, when people are being asked to change processes or strategic direction, um, usually it's processes, the way they do things. Mm -hmm. They literally feel in their bodies as if they could die if they change the way they do things. Mm -hmm. Because especially in organizations, making a mistake or not being successful after you've you've created the habit of being successful and therefore staying alive, it feels like you could die. And it's so funny. Yesterday, someone put a, a link on Facebook with you know my Facebook friends a link to an Onion article, and the headline oh, yeah. was Did you see it?
0: No, tell me about it.
1: The oh, it's hilarious. the The headline was. Research shows that over 10 million people last year were killed from going outside their comfort zone.
0: <laughs> I know, right? Show.
1: And I didn't realize—I didn't realize it was the onion. You know, I didn't realize it was satire. And I, I opened the link. I'm like, "What? That can't possibly be true." But what you know? What makes it? What makes that so funny? is that it's true, is that literally is. people feel that if they change the way they eat, if they try a different kind of exercise, if they have to... I mean, I know I literally feel a physical resistance when I have to upgrade my computer software.
2: Wow. I, get,
1: I get hostile and cranky with RIT people. And if I can't get it right really quickly, I get really really ornery. And it's because I'm, I can get so much done so fast with the processes that I know. And when someone asks me to change it, it just really makes me crazy. It makes me not myself. So I i think that's pretty much, that's the short answer. And there's all kinds of research that shows there's a, a really great kind of um there's a guy in the coaching profession a guy named David Rock who has gotten into the neuroscience of leadership and therefore the neuroscience of change because half of what leaders need to get people to do is change and Mm -hmm. um, you know there's all kinds of research that shows especially the older you get the neural pathways that get formed when you learn something new get deeper and deeper and deeper, and you use the same neural pathways day in, day out, and forcing yourself to create new neural pathways, literally new synapses. That's what people are being asked to do when they're being asked to change, and it's just, it's really hard. And when people say, oh, it's just fear, it's not just fear with a little F, it's fear with a capital F, like people feel like they could die.
0: Yeah, it's work. uh, It is a turn that people generally do not want to take, but then they, nine out of 10, if you're supposed to take that turn, you'll have to take it. So how much, I, I it's interesting, and this will lead into my next question. Uh, the next question is gonna be, how have you helped organizations, because you, you have such great experience in, in working with organizations, how have you helped organizations make that turn? and? I'm going to preface that with, have you found that the it's kind of an exponential thing? The more a person resists, the more difficult it will be to change, and the more difficult it gets, the more dramatic the change is going to be versus if they were to just like a, a, a large ocean liner making a turn. They make turns. Ever so slightly. You can't just like turn a big ship like you turn a car. You've got right. to chart your course and slowly steer that ship to make that turn. Right. So it's a gradual one. And most people, unfortunately, they don't adopt to change that way. They it's like, oh my God, they hit a brick wall and now they've got to change. Right. So I'm curious, but, have you but seen But the great the thing about that
1: metaphor that you just used, the ship is if you just uh-huh. make a two-degree a two change yes. in the direction, you end up with a completely different destination. And that's what is so hard for people to get. Mm-hmm. But I love that metaphor. So I'm sorry, I interrupted. My mistake.
0: No, no, you're right on target. How do you introduce that two-degree change in organizations?
1: Well, most organizations don't actually do two-degree changes. I think that metaphor actually really works better for personal change.
0: Okay. <laughs> but, and organizational
1: change, I mean, that is such a – there are so many books written about that. In fact, we have someone in our organization, a woman named Pat Sigarmi. And, uh, well, you know, no Ken Blanchard book can have anything anything under four authors. But she <laughs> she has pioneered a change program that um that really covers the bases. She wrote a book um called Who Killed Change. And they kind of go through all the different aspects of organizations that keep change from that re- the different ways in which different aspects of organizations resist change, like the culture, the systems. Those are the those are the two biggies. But um so there's all kinds of different ways to help organizations institute a change well, and um, you know I've seen it done really really well step by step and helping all every individual manage their concerns, their information concerns, their personal concerns, etc. That's kind of how the concerns are broken down. Those and those are the two biggies. It's do I have the information I need to be successful, and how is this going to affect me? personally. What am I going to lose? What am, what do I have to gain? What do I have to learn? How am I going to be challenged? How could I possibly fail? So those are all the kind of the big questions you have to help people get around. But ultimately what I've seen work best is quick, big, loud change. Do it fast, do it hard, help people manage it. Give them 6 months to either catch up or get out and the other thing I've seen is that you have to keep people um, used to change now mm-hmm. I'm not a fan obviously of change for the sake of keeping people nimble mm. but I do see what what really happens in organizations that do, that don't do enough change is that people lose the habit and, and as you said, they're, they become even more resistant. And I think that's mm-hmm. true in our personal lives, too. M- the more change-averse you are, the more you have to force yourself to make a few changes every year just to stay in the habit. And it's really, it's about brain, it's almost like a brain gym. You have to keep your brain yes. used to change. <clears throat>
0: mm-hmm. And that's why,
1: you know, so many coaches and so many gurus talk about challenging yourself on a regular basis, forcing yourself to go outside of your comfort zone, changing it up, doing mm-hmm. something you're not used to. I remember in one wonderful class I, I took a long time ago when I was still an actor, the class was called Risk. One week, our homework was to go out and make a big mistake. hmm <laughs> And there was all kinds of back talk about it. You know, people were like, "What are you talking about?" And um, you know, but I still think about that because the way we grow up, you know, our mother doesn't stand at the back door as we're getting on the school bus saying, "Take risks."
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, know? you never say, "Drive poorly." you like, drive safely.
1: <laughs> right. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay. And and it all goes back to the reptilian brain, you know. If you make a mistake, you could be eaten by a long, you know, a saber-toothed tiger.
0: Right. So what I'm hearing you say, and what I, what's, what's trickling out of this, is we have to be really good listeners. We have to learn how to communicate clearly, hear clearly speak clearly so that we have the information needed to make those, to adopt the change. Do I have that correct?
1: Oh, yeah. You have to have your information. You have to have the details. And what a lot of organizations do is they'll say, oh, there's going to be this big change, but we don't have any information for you. It's like, don't do that. That's just stupid. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when my my first marriage ended my my ex-husband and I decided that we were going to separate and divorce. And it was the hardest thing in the world because we wanted to figure out all the answers to all the questions. Where are you going to live? Where am I going to live? What are, How are we going to manage with the kids? All of that. We wanted to have all those questions answered before we told our kids. So we had to keep it from our children. And we worked with a the therapist to try to figure out how to answer all those questions so that when we did tell them, We'd be able to answer all those questions. Because we knew, uh, you know, I knew because of my background that just saying, oh, we're getting divorced, you know, more information coming for a 13 and a 10 year old, that's just mean. It's just mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, they w- they need to know who's going to drive me to school, <laughs> who's going to yep. be making my dinner.
0: Right. Who's and gonna in gonna an do organization without. Me? Exactly, and without that information, the brain, the reptilian brain, takes over and creates all these illusions that that feed the fear.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm going to die. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) So it all seems to be kind of common sense, but.
0: it, it, It does. But, however, if if we really pay attention to that concept of common sense, sometimes we pay a dear price to remember what we know we already know. <laughs> oh, we could go on for at least another couple of days on this topic. So oh, yeah, it's a huge topic. Huge, huge topic. And I think for those listening, please know we're going to continue on this conversation in this panel format because as you're hearing this show, you're finding out that there are themes and there are, even though the theme may be similar, you're, what Madeline brought up is absolutely critical to understand and that is make sure you have that information that you need to make the change. If you're missing that information, ask for it. If people don't have it, do not make up stories until you get the information. I, I guess Madeline in my corporate work that I did as a corporate shaman, it was absolutely almost uh, the best play on the planet that when people were told that there was not you know more information coming, how the creative mind starts manufacturing information that all of a sudden it's like, well, this is what I heard. And it's like, well, it was a story somebody made up two months ago and now it becomes fact. And you have to dissolve that first. (laughs) Crazy. Okay. What's the best way? Clearly, people will want to get a hold of you. How can we get a hold of you? I know you do your own private practice. What's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: Probably through my website, which is mhblanchard.com. And it can be emailed right from the website. Yeah. Email is my favorite form.
0: Okay, we have Madeline's direct link to her site right on this page where you're listening to the show. If you've downloaded this show, please come back to blogtalkradio.com forward slash pay me what I'm worth and you'll find this show featured for some time to come. Madeline, if this were a video, you'd see me once again bowing before you with a big crinkled up face smiling for all of your wisdom that you've shared with us today.
1: Thank you so much.
2: As always, make sure you check out Madeline's website. The link is here on the show notes. And as you've noticed, we're coming up to the halfway mark of our series. I would love to know, how is this series helping you befriend change? At the beginning of this series, where were you? What was your relationship like with change? And how has it changed as you've listened to this show series? Tomorrow, we're going to dive into another author, He is a prolific writer. He's got YouTube videos that will make you go, hmm. His name is Herndon Davis. I encourage you to click on Herndon's link before you listen to his show to get a little more background on him. As always, your comments. We've got a contest with comments. The more comments you leave for this series, the person who leaves the most comments on this series, we've got some special gifts. So... Don't be surprised if you get an email from paymewhatimworth.com with a gift enclosed. You're listening to Soul Dancer, your host for Pay Me What I'm Worth. Be sure also to click out to our website and check out all the different things we've got going. Right now we're hiring people. We've got a couple of want ads out there. Be sure to visit paymewhatimworth.com. There's a link out to our main site right here in the show notes. As always, I bow in gratitude for your time. We look forward to seeing you back as soon as you can. Aloha.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?